0: hello my name is tonight and i'm a women's intimacy and empowerment coach for years i tried to heal what i thought was commitment phobia and i realized that there's actually no such thing this podcast is an opportunity to have conversations about what gets in the way of us creating real intimacy and how can we have more deep and vulnerable connections in our relationships this is commitment phobe Hello, everybody. Today, my guest is Eduardo Placer. He is someone who I have no idea who I met, how I met. We still don't know. <laughs> we have some ideas. But I recently saw him about a month ago, because I took his program, Fearless Communicators. Which one did I do? What was it called?
1: Fearless fire.
0: Fearless fire. I felt called to start learning how to speak in front of an audience and tell my story. And the universe brought me to Eduardo somehow. And, you know, we got on a call and I'm like, I feel like I need to work with you. (laughs) (laughs) And I wasn't really sure what he did, but he helps people, you know, empower themselves through their storytelling and embodiment as they speak in front of an audience And um, it was truly life-changing, and uh, and I'll talk about it a little more, but first, welcome. And why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Thank you, Tanai. Uh, I'd like to begin with second grade and show and tell. So I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, proud uh, son of Cuban immigrants, and also grandchild of Spanish immigrants. Spanish is my first language. I was in kindergarten uh, or second grade at Pinewood Acres Elementary School and uh, it was show and tell day and Mrs. Fox uh, turned to me and said, Eddie, are you ready? And I said, yes. And I grabbed this stuffed animal seal and I marched to the front of the class and I said something magical like seals are mammals. They live in the water. They eat fish. Sometimes they're eaten by sharks. And in my own Little second grade mind, uh, theater obsessed mind, was obsessed that if there was a Tony award for best second grade performance of a show until clearly I was the winner. And then I went off script because I could see that my classmates weren't interested. And I said something like, and I named him after someone in this class. And I was like about to truth bomb hashtag overshare before we had hashtag truth bombs and hashtag overshares in 1986. (laughs) And then said, I named him after Brett MacGyver, who was the blonde popular boy that I had a crush on in Miami in 1986. And it didn't go well. And it was the first time that I tasted terror in my mouth. You know, as I reflect, you know, and think about my childhood and growing up, so much of my life was about performance. Because I had to perform to convince everyone around me that I was somebody other than who I was. So, of course, what I wanted to be more than anything in the world was an actor, because that's what actors do. They get paid to put on costumes and convince everybody else that there's someone other than who they are. And after having been an actor for 15 years, I can also say that you're never anyone but yourself. (laughs) You can't run away. No matter how many costumes you put on, no matter how much makeup you put on, at the end of the day, it's you. And how do we get comfortable with the you that you are when you're standing in front of people? And that's the hardest because we feel like there's a part of us that we've got to be someone other than who we are in order to convince people that we are professional, or smart, or together, or attractive, or whatever. Get the whole, like even making ourselves up, like who I am is just not enough. Like I need eyeshadow, and I need rouge, and I need lipstick, and I need my hair done. One of the liberations of being a middle-aged gay man who's bald is I don't have to worry about my hair. Uh, But all the space that that occupies, right, which is all about projecting really our insecurities onto the audience and trying to hope that no one actually really sees the truth. And what happens if we can actually liberate ourselves and be courageous enough to share the truth and have an audience witness your truth? And I think that that's, that's where I've evolved to as a public speaking coach. So I run a public speaking business called Fearless communicators. Uh, we work with thought leaders, small business owners, entrepreneurs on content creation, like what you say and then how you say it and delivery. And it has been a lifelong journey in this learning for myself as a human being, as a person on the planet. But as a business owner, I, I like to say we're legal Zoom officials since 2015. So now we're, you know, almost seven, eight years in, which is its own other you know did not expect that i would be here but yet again here we are and what a gift to be able to do this work
0: wow that's amazing i i heard my own experience in what you were sharing in that i just like my my perfectionism really came up during the week and you know it's interesting about the week is that everything goes really fast like you don't really have a lot of time to overthink and plan. and that kind of went against me and how I do things. You know, I, I love writing on social media, which means that I I get to, you know, think about it in my head and I do it really quickly, but, but everything looks how I want it to look. Everything sounds how I want it to sound. And then the, you know, the week was hard for me because when we were given like three minutes to tell a story, I would stand up and I would freeze because I I couldn't control how it was going to come out.
1: Today, I love that you were talking about this and you talked about your own perfectionism because I I, I say that I'm in recovery as a perfectionist. I don't know how it came up. Oh, this morning, thank you, Instagram and Facebook for thinking that I need some beautiful nesting bulls. (laughs) And these are really beautiful. (laughs) Thank you, algorithm. And the name of the company is Wabi Sabi. and It's this Japanese aesthetic. And there are these three words, an appreciating beauty that is imperfect, Impermanent and incomplete, and I just think one of the I, the way that I kind of summarize that sentiment is that that we are perfectly imperfect. The reality, the truth, and on social media and marketing and all of that, you know, forces upon a narrative or an aspiration of something that is, or TV shows or whatever, where something seems and looks perfect, and yet the reality of everything is everything is imperfect everything will break <laughs> you know? and that everything is flawed and that's just the the truth of existence and if we can be with that that there's actually real beauty and humanity and and sadness and joy and all intermingle together and that that's real and i think that there's something about that that i think is how we approach the act of speaking that it's not about perfectionism because that's about you But it's really about connection and who cares how you get there, right? The point is that you make a difference for the people that you're intending to make a difference for. So ultimately, the work is about how do you get out of the fucking way so that you can actually just be a vehicle or a vessel of being of service, which I think those are the people that I like to work with.
0: Yeah, something that you say is, you know, that you, the focus is on on speaking in a way that liberates you from the past and i'd love for you to speak on on what that means for you.
1: You know, and i know we've done a lot of similar work together on ourselves, right, which is important to note, right? On the front load, yes, i'm a public speaking coach, but really the work that we do is transformational. And i'm not going to hide from that, but i just people think they want public speaking work, but what they really want is to transform, right? And that there'll be some type of transformation in that. And i think that's the difference between like i want soft skills and Actually, the way to get from one point to the other is to alchemically kind of shift our approach and our being in relationship to our communication and our speaking. So I wanted to name that. I also think that that, that many of us are in the work of solving, and not really solving, but being in the healing of trauma or things that happened in our past, and that every moment is an opportunity to deepen the healing of that trauma, (laughs) right? So for me, and I shared a little bit about that when I was talking about show and tell, as a gay man who grew up in a family and in a household in a community that was homophobic and machista, and uh, there was no room or space for my natural self-expression. So um, it's interesting that the whole, that there's all this language around authenticity and being authentic, like that's easy, Right. That authenticity is easy. If your natural authenticity conforms to dominant cultural stereotype and behavior, then awesome. Great. Beautiful. The vast majority of us don't fit into what that is, but we're actually not taught to be authentic. We're actually taught to conform and that it is in conformity that you find success, you know, play by the rules. You know, I started T's crossed, you know, don't stand out too much because the kids at the cafeteria are going to make fun of you and you don't want to be at the wrong table, <laughs> you know, because then that's going to like you're not going to get a date for prom and you'll never be prom queen, <laughs> you know. So they're all the, there's all this like coded and then yet reinforced language that appears. And it's by the, the TV that we consume, the books that we read, the stories that we're told, you know, our parents, our community. And the truth is that I was different. I was very different. I was the only child who finished like a five-year-old soccer league with a rock collection named after the Von Trapp children. <laughs> you know? So I was like, and this little rock is Friedrich and this one's Brigida, and this one's Marta, you know, and my twin brother, I'm identical twin brother, who's, bro- and he's straight, like, and not that this is a defining factor, but my brother, you know, played soccer and baseball and football. So my brother performed traditional male Cuban, Latin man kind of performance, and I failed at it miserably. So I had this, this upbringing, where who I was, was inherently a failure at what I was supposed to be, which is now where the perfectionism performance addict I didn't feel like I could be loved for who I was. I could only be loved for what I did and what I accomplished. So I became an accomplishment addict. I went to this very prominent school in Miami called Belen Jesuit, which is where it's kind of like the top school for Cuban men of a certain generation. You know, I was involved in everything. I, (laughs) you know, I I got a standing ovation from my, I got a special award at my graduation and I got a special, uh, and I got a standing ovation from the faculty for outstanding contribution to the school. I mean, and yet when I stood on that stage receiving that award, there was a part of me that I was like, all of this will be over the moment that you find out the truth about who I am. And I wasn't out to myself, really. And yet there was this part of me that was like, psych, I gotcha. And I think the healing work of me being an out gay man is in the healing of my own internalized homophobia in the healing that there's anything wrong that has to be fixed because I had to fix everything. I had to fix how I spoke. I had to fix how I moved. I had to fix how I said things. I had to fix what I talked about. I had to fix the machination of my voice, the pitch, because I could be too high because I also believe, and this is interesting, you know, and maybe in some alignment in our work is that I believe that male homophobia is misogyny. So the issue isn't, Gayness, it isn't the sexuality piece. The issue is the femininity.
0: Yeah, I, you know I have friends who will be like, "I'm not homophobic, but I just got uncomfortable with like men being like too much." And I'm like, "Yeah, so that that in itself is already like okay, but well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean
1: by that? that exactly? And what they have an issue with is being a sissy or girly." The other thing that men have an issue with, and this is cisgender straight men, for the most part, I'm not. this is not intended to be a generalization, and I would say dominant male culture, right? And I think this was illuminated by the hashtag Me Too movement, is that there is, there, there is an understanding in the world, whether verbal or unverbal, that it is okay for... Women to be subjected to the gaze of male sexual desire, like welcome to the street, welcome to the bar, welcome to the club, welcome to work. And there were all these places that were male dominated, right? Where it was understood that now you're in this space. So women just have to subject themselves to unwanted male desire, right? And then that's just that those are the rules. Welcome to school. Welcome to work. Welcome to the office. Welcome to the street. Welcome to whatever. Get with it. Now, the one place where men are subjected to unwanted desire by men is at a gay bar or prison. That's that discomfort piece. The moment men are aware of unwanted sexual desire and objectification, they get violent. And it's like, welcome to the experience of being a woman all the time. Right. So, so there are these, these ways that I think my experience as a cisgender gay man is that I, I can straddle kind of both spaces. I feel like I'm an unthreatening gay energy because I, I know my boundaries and I'm not like predatorily preying on straight men. And <laughs> ah. I, mean? I might say that lovingly and jokingly, but I, th- I know that there are boundaries and I respect those boundaries. But I have beautiful, intimate relationships with straight men and beautiful, intimate relationships with straight women, because I also don't have any charged sexual energy towards women. I'm a Kinsey, six, homosexual, gold star, gay. Like, there's no interest in the down there for anything. And I, and, and what's been beautiful about that is, is just a real privilege and an opening to being in feminine spaces, which I feel have been... I mean, I've always been invited into male spaces, and there's something really beautiful and sacred about a women's space and and the privilege of being invited into those um circles has been really eye-opening and really moving and really beautiful.
0: So much came up as I heard you speak and actually it's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about which is confidence. I see similarities in both of us in the sense that like if I see you walk into a room like that is a confident man. You know, you just know how to carry yourself, you the way that you speak, you're friendly, you you clearly know yourself. And people say that about me too, you know that I and 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 what's interesting is you know hearing your background and the perfectionism and and performing and wanting to be something for people and I could I could totally relate to that, you know, like I can come into a room and my presence can be like, wow, she's she just like is solid, but in my head I could be having you know millions. Of people. <laughs>
1: Nobody wants that video. No one wants that video.
0: Yeah, and that came up in the in the course too, because I kept hearing over and over again, like tonight it's just your presence. Like you could say anything, and and that already like evokes a lot of power and you know, and love. And so I, I really had to work through not caring what it is that I that I'm gonna say, but actually like, wow, I just get to like show up and with my energy transform. And yeah, and that also ties in with me realizing that I wasn't doing the, the the program for a fine for like the final draft for the completion. I was it was a rough draft that will always be a rough draft.
1: Life is life is a rough draft. It's all a rough draft. Like none of it is is polished and perfect, you know. And if it's po- and I feel like that's one of the reasons I'm going to say something really crass, but that's one of the reasons why I loved my 20 year college reunion. Because at the 10 year, everybody was like, it's amazing. We're having a destination wedding and we're, you know, we have our place in the Hamptons, which is really great. And then, you know, and then we're, we're just really happy. And, you know, I got the promotion at Goldman and everybody's like, and I went to Penn, I went to an Ivy league school, which is very pre-professional. So everybody was like keeping up appearances at the 20 year reunion. It's like, you know, I have three kids. One of them has, some type of, you know, disability. My wife had cancer, do you know what I mean? And, you know, we're just trying to keep it all together, you know, or, you know, I never loved my fucking husband, you know, the sex was horrible and now I'm getting pummel fucked by my 22 year old, you know, personal trainer. And I've never felt more alive and more in touch with myself and my body. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) tell about truth. And I think that that so so I think that there's something that, that happens I think that, and this is be an age thing, I'm now 45, but it's like, one of the things that I thought was such a gift of coming out at 18 was that when I came out at 18, that was in itself a revolution in that any expectation for what my life was supposed to look like was shattered. So I could literally create from nothing what my life was going to look like and i think that and i again not everyone has to i mean there're various other ways that we come out you know you know and it doesn't have to just be in gayness but it could be you know people are just like dad i don't want your fucking business i'm actually an artist <laughs> yeah i'm coming out as an artist or i'm coming out as you know whatever that, um, you know, we have a dear friend of ours who's also like in tension with his family about being an artist and being an expressed artist and wanting to create. And in some ways that's a bit of outing outside of, you know, a pre-professional, this is what your life is supposed to look like. And then you're supposed to get married and you're supposed to have kids and you're supposed to have, you know, a monogamous relationship. And then you're going to buy your house and maybe you'll have a vacation home if you're in South Florida in the Keys, you know, or maybe like you do your little, you know, vacation and then the kids go to the certain schools. And then, you know, this is what everything is supposed to look like and you're supposed to be happy, you know? And then people are like, "No. no, 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 no and then people feel bad because they're not happy because they've been sold something as being the pathway to happiness and i just think it's elusive because everything is impermanent nothing everything is perfect. everything is impermanent everything is imperfect <laughs> and that's just reality
0: do you feel like that is that contributed to the way that you do carry yourself today and the confidence that you
1: so i love i love the word confidence and i highly recommend this to anybody who's listening and also for you tonight one of my favorite things to do is look up root origins of words.
0: Same. Love it.
1: I'm a sucker for etymology because, and this is like, I'm a lover of words. So words are the tool that I have in my toolbox. I am an artist with words and language, not the written word. I'm more the spoken word. The written word takes me a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain in my writing because that triggers my perfectionist. I can surrender with the speaking and it's just like, this is what it is. Here we go. But the thing that I think is interesting about so the word confidence, and I have a, a client of mine who was in an executive leadership coaching program and was crafting a keynote and was speaking about uh, leadership, and was interested in dissecting this idea about confidence. So I said, well, why don't we look up the word? So we looked it up, and the if you look at the etymology of confidence, it means it comes from the Latin with trust. And what I think is really interesting about the reason why I say etymology is important is because everything has an origin. So there was a period of time where we did not have words and we did not have languages as human beings. We had sounds and eventually those sounds became words that were tools to understand and to communicate to each other human sentiment, feeling, emotion, you know, but also pick up the ladder or water the fire or hold me or kiss me. Or love me, right? That there was some desire that a sound wasn't enough. So we had words. So we created words to encapsulate it. And I think that if we do the root origin, you know, the words have started to mean something else to us contemporarily. But if we go back to the origin, I think sometimes it deepens the context. So confidence means with trust. And I think what's interesting is that works two ways. One, You have to trust yourself. And two, you have to trust your environment. If I don't trust myself, then I'm not going to be confident.
0: Yeah. And I actually love for you to even dissect that. Like, what does it mean to trust yourself?
1: I think what it means, and again, I don't think it's binary. I think that it's circumstantial, right? So if I have to walk into a space that feels foreign and unsafe to me, I will probably not exude. Confidence. I will probably, at least personally, like I I don't think people are going to look at me and they're going to be like, wow, look at that light who just walked in. Right. And I'll just like, I am actually more of an introvert than an extrovert. So I was just at this conference in Las Vegas. It was 4,000 people. It's huge. And I was just like, I'm not competing for the brightest light here. I'm just going to kind of find my way. I'm going to talk to people around me. I'm going to make personal connections, but I'm not looking. To prance and dance, <laughs> you know, and draw attention to myself. In 4,000 people, just not my vibe, right? Now, there are people to whom, like, that is like, you know, they're going to dress and they're going to, you know, I looked great, but I wasn't like out there, you know, like I was navigating a new space. It was a corporate, you know, LGBTQ plus conference. And I was just like, I don't know these people. I don't know the vibe. I don't know things. So I'm going to kind of measure. Now I know more next year when I go. However, it takes some confidence to hop on the plane and go, oh, not knowing anybody. <laughs> you know, so like on the one hand, like I trust myself and my ability to be in relationship to people that I can show up. And my goal is to make individual personal connections as opposed to standing out in front of everybody. So that's one place where where you're like kind of navigating it on a scale. I, I trust myself. And yet, I don't know if I trust that environment so i'm kind of gauging over time to see is this a space where i can't allow myself to fully show up now this is easy because it's an lgbtq plus conference and i'm a cisgender gay man right now if i was going to go to like a conference for financial planners do you know what i mean in texas odds are i would be very measured because i wouldn't necessarily trust that that space is safe for me to be my fully self-expressed light ext- extravaganza etc right so i think that we as human beings are also gauging and maybe this isn't everybody again i'm speaking from my own experience like i'm kind of throwing out trust darts to be like is this safe <laughs> you know what I mean,
0: yeah we do that as a survival mechanism like without realizing yeah
1: And then over time, you, you know, and sometimes like, let's say you have a friend that's throwing a party and it's an intimate party and you know that person, you know, some other people, even though, you know, everybody, it's like you arrive and you're like, I kind of get the vibe. Here we go. And everyone's like, wow, who's that person? You know, and I've been given the, 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 the compliment that someone has given me before in the past in describing me like my superpowers that I'm a molecule shifter. So I can shift the energy of the room that I'm in. And it's a superpower and I don't necessarily always activate it. I'm mindful of when I do and when I can, you know, and it, and I have agency in it. It's and, and sometimes people want me to do it like I'm always on, and I'm like no, 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 because it's actually really exhausting, <laughs> depleting, you know. And at the end, I'm like fully fetal, and you know, want to go to bed, <laughs> want to binge watch Netflix and go to bed. When
0: it, when it comes to relationships, do you get the feedback that it's intimidating?
1: Like personal relationships or yeah. romantic? or romantic,
0: yeah.
1: Well, you know, I'm in relationship now. Uh, so we're about to celebrate two years um, in December. And I think one of the things, like we have a running joke. Um, he's very private, very observant, but very quiet and does not like to draw a lot of attention to himself. And he's South American gay man. And I think a very different upbringing than I am. And our running joke is that I'm popular. So I tell him, yo soy muy popular, I'm very popular, I have a lot, I I know a lot of people, (laughs) you know, and he is someone who would rather observe than be the center of attention. And I think there's a certain level of balance in that, a little bit of a yin and a yang, because I also don't want to fight for the spotlight with somebody, because I would just give up the spotlight. Like, I don't need, I don't need the spotlight. I don't need to, because some people are competitively spotlighty people, and I can't, I can't abide that. And maybe that's because I was an actor for 15 years, and I was like, everyone's got their moment, honey. Find your moment to shine, and then share the stage. Nobody wants to be a spotlight hog. That's like the worst. Share the stage. Plenty of room on the stage for all of us, honey. You know, and find your light. <laughs> you know, don't take mine.
0: <laughs> Did you by any chance watch the movie Bros?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't. It's funny that I missed it.
0: Well, I I just watched it. And what what I really loved is that, you know, it's, it's, yeah, gay, gay couple. One of them is in a job that's like corporate and he's very conventionally hot. Yeah. Just kind of looks like a Ken doll. And then, and then the other guy is like very, you know, dramatic and intense and like has his own black hat, horrible. And yeah. And the one that looks like a Ken doll comments you know you're so confident like you just know yourself you're you know you you're not scared and and I thought that was interesting like confidence isn't that you know the popular the popular person in the in the movies you know the one that's like liked by everyone but maybe there is something about like going against the grain facing your fears knowing yourself
1: well, I think that sometimes and, you know, we, we we can be psychological about looking back at the most popular the boy and popular girl <laughs> like in high school. And I think there's a lot of like, oh, my God, they must have had it so fucking easy because it was such a fucking shit show for everybody else. And yet I think it's its own curse. You know, and I think that like to always be like to all like like in the way that people aspire to, <laughs> you know, like who knows what other secrets they have in the closet or like what their family life is like or what their struggles are or whatever. There's just a way in which we center that as like the end all be all it's, it's lacking in its own complexity. And I, I, I love that from, again, my experience generationally as a gay man, which is not the same as the kids that are coming out now. We have very different experiences. I came out before Will and Grace. I came out before Ellen. So there was a whole other world that we were living in. I also, you know, came out and, You know, AIDS was as a death sentence waning, you know, but I was growing up at a time when there was still that trauma where, where being gay was like HIV and AIDS was always there. So you had to be, you always were terrified in being intimate with someone that you were going to get something and then you were going to die. So like that trauma was still in the community as I was in the space of coming out, which is something that the kids that are coming out now are completely absolved from, like they have no consideration of that. In the gay male community specifically, we call it the cult of masculinity. And there is this way in which the internalized homophobia hashtag internalized misogyny, is all about this performing of straight male power, which is the, the, what you center for desire, right? And then also is a performance. So then you have this like hyper muscled, do you know what I mean? Kind of like Adonis kind of thing, you know, coupled with, you know, sometimes like this very athletic-y, jockey kind of thing. But then what I think is sometimes hidden under that is a toxic femininity. Coupled with this cult of masculinity, so that you have this like this bitchy catty, she's fat, you know, kind of nastiness, which is not about people coming together and being together, but more about cutting each other down. It's like the bullied become the bullies, and that that piece that toxicity is something that I've always tried to shy away from within uh, my own community. It's something that um, that I've avoided that I I, I don't like to be around
0: well you know going back to like knowing yourself and 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 storytelling why why is it so important to know our stories like why does that actually change who we are change how we operate yeah like w- what is the impact of knowing your story and then telling it
1: well i think there there there's one thing that i want to say about it and something that's emerging that's in the space of emerging. So people think that they're telling stories, but they're not telling stories. What they're doing is timelining or their event sharing, like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. That's not telling a story. That's just recounting that events happened. So a story has a clear beginning, a middle, and an end. What's difficult with life is that we don't know the end because the end is when we die. And then then there will be a story that we've written about us, <laughs> you know, but we're just in the living but, we're just in the living. We're in the living, which is hard to be sometimes in the looking for what is the beginning, middle, and end so that I can understand what happened, right? And that's what a story is for. A story puts events together in a way that allow us to assess or comprehend or reach some type of meaning. And as we know, there are many meanings that we can extract from any given story, right? And those meanings can shift over time. So I think that story and storytelling work is very powerful in our own kind of assessment and understanding of what the fuck am I doing here on this planet for the time that I've been allotted, and understanding that at the there, at the intersection of my specific DNA. And like that, this is a unique momentary kind of, you know, flicker, (laughs) right? And that the truth is that there is nothing unique about the flicker and the experience, meaning that you will love and you will lose, you know, you will win and you will lose, you will feel anger and you'll feel release, (laughs) You you will hold and you will be held. Like that is not unique. For a human and yet at the intersection of your specific DNA and the specific DNA of the human beings and the things and experiences, it will be unique. The lessons are not, the the the, the morals of it will not. That's why we listen. That's why we have parables and we have story because we're as human beings ultimately always just learning the same thing over and over and over and over again. And we don't learn. So that's why we need more stories, <laughs> you know, to continue to be in the learning.
0: Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm really hearing in what you said that there's also the power of alchemizing what happened to you, like really getting the gold because like you said, we make all these meanings. So if you go back and actually give a meaning that's powerful to you, then you can kind of see, Oh, I see why this I can understand what, what I can learn from what happened to me. And in the sharing realize I'm not alone But I do have this experience that I can claim as my own and relate to other people in what happened.
1: And that what happens in the power of the story is that other people see themselves through your experience. And what we build with that is the muscle of empathy, which is, I think, grossly under exercised in our current climate. And I think any opportunity that we have to exercise that muscle uh, makes us better people. Better human beings on this planet, um, and exercise those feelings in relationship to each other. So I think, so so I think that from the personal from the personal journey, I think that that's where we are now. I think as businesses and the small business owners, there's also the power of story. But actually, I don't think what we're building is story. I think what we want to build is myth. And I say that with some level of hubris, (laughs) you know, we want to be a little mindful that you're not like, and now I'm Prometheus and now I'm Ulysses and now I'm, but whatever. But I think that even as we recount our own individual stories, what we're building is myth around who we are, around um, the lessons that are being learned, you know, and about the work that we do. And I think that we use story as myth to teach a lesson, right? To to be in the the sharing of experience that can make a profound difference for other people. And I think that's where it kind of evolves. And this is the piece of it that's a little bit that I'm working through right now that I was like, wait a second, I don't think actually we're interested in story and storytelling. I think what we're actually really interested in is myth and myth building is what we're interested in. And there are different myths. Like there's the myth of the, you know, the entrepreneur that works three hours a week, you know, and makes a shit ton of money. Right. There's the myth of, you know, I gave up, you know, I gave up looking online for my boyfriend and all of a sudden he walked into the cafe and and now we're married and we have, you know, 17 children and three puppies. You know, there's all these ways in which we're sold these myths, you know, because they feed on our uh, need or human desire or whatever. Um, and then we buy into them and then we 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 were after, <laughs> you know, I too will you know, do that. And then we sell other people on a myth. And I think it's just something interesting to unpack, like the, the the myth building, but then also the opportunity to myth bust at the same time. And I think that's part of that. Like, the truth is, like, I don't know. The, the truth is, there is no answer.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. And like, as a coach, you know, the whole, the coaching industry is like a bunch of people that know exactly what they're doing with their lives. And I make it a point to constantly share, like, I have no idea. And like today I, I, you know, I rocked a speech with like this many people. And then I went home and cried about something that happened in the morning. You know, it's just like, we're still human. We're all just learning and helping each other out.
1: And let's just, let's just be better. Like, let's just say every day, be an opportunity to be better. At whatever it is that we're doing, I want to be a better parent. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a better sibling. I want to be a better business owner. I want to be a better human being, a better voter, (laughs) like a better colleague, a better whatever. Like, and that I'm not. I've absolved myself of best, right? That's an unworthwhile. Journey because there will always be someone better tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah, you were the best today, but tomorrow someone's going to be better.
0: Right. So I life will make like, sure that you know it. Like life will take the throne off of you.
1: Yeah. The That's- record will be broken. Someone else will break your record. And then someone else will break that record. So I'm I'm no longer in the game. And maybe again, this is being 45 of winning. I just want to make sure that I play well, I play fair, I play, I play lovingly with myself and with my colleagues and with the people that I have the chance to play with and then I just want to go to sleep and sleep really well that's it
0: so good thank you so much <laughs> this like flew by i wish i could talk to you for a few hours more but i'm sure that will be a part two um yeah
1: so. anytime anytime i'm down so thank you so much tonight for the privilege and thank you for your leadership and in showing up as you are you know and allowing that to be um enough
0: thank you
1: what a beautiful gift.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Commitment Phobe. If you like what you heard, make sure to share with your friends, your lovers, your ex-lovers, anyone that you think could benefit from having a conversation like this one. And it would be super helpful if you subscribed and left a five-star rating on iTunes to make sure that this podcast gets spread around to as many listeners as possible and we can start changing the conversation that we have around intimacy and relationships. If you want to find out more information about what I do as a women's coach and some of my other projects that I'm working on, you can find my information in the bio of this episode or you can reach out to me directly on Instagram and shoot me any questions that you have. See you next time.